Hi, I'm Mark O'Connell, and you're listening to Far Fetched, a podcast about my largely unpaid but mostly enjoyable career as a writer. This feels a little weird. This is the first new podcast I'm recording in about two months. I didn't mean to fall so far behind, but, you know, life things happen and things things get rescheduled. And it's been a strange couple of months. Not all, not all pleasant, I might add, but here I am back at my console, back with my microphone, ready to talk more Star Trek. I just had a real fun experience, though, I just want to mention. I I have a uh, fairly new screenwriting friend who is uh, very, very generous with his time and just gave me some feedback on a feature spec script that I've been working on. Gave me some really good uh, suggestions, made some great observations. I really appreciated it. Of course, I never want to go back and rewrite stuff, but that's that's just me. But no, I really like the I really like the feedback I got from my friend, and I'm gonna give that some serious thought. The funny thing about the situation is that I I had asked him as a favor to read this script, which he did. But in the meantime, he also started reading my book, The Close Encounters Man, the biography of Dr. J. Allen Hynek world-famous astronomer and UFO researcher. And I thought that was kind of cool because not only did my friend have a lot of really insightful things to say about the script, but he was super curious about the book. And I kind of get the feeling he was enjoying reading the book more than (laughs) reading the script, which is fine, as long as he enjoys reading one of them. So yeah, it was kind of cool, sort of re reliving the book, talking about things that I hadn't thought about for a while because it's it, the book came out in 2017. But um, but I had a lot of fun experiences research, researching and writing the book, and so we talked about that for about a half an hour, and it was it was kind of fun. It's fun to have an appreciative audience. It's fun to talk about my work, and as I said, it kind of just reminded me of, uh, you know, some really good work I've done in the past. I'm very proud of that book. And it's, uh, yeah, like I said, it's always, it's always nice to talk about it and maybe attract a few new readers. I also wanted to mention one other funny thing just on the side. My uh, brother is a game and fish warden at, uh, at a state, state level out west. And he mentioned the other day that when he opened his office that morning, a guy had come in asking to buy a hunting license for Sasquatch. So Matt just kind of presented that news and just just let it sit there. He did this on a, a family chat, so we're all like, well, tell us more. I mean, did you sell him a license? And he was like, well, yeah, I sold him a license. You know, I can't, I can't tell him not to hunt Sasquatch. <laughs> well, actually, he probably could. Uh, I just thought that was funny, though, especially since this is the same brother who a couple of months ago told me that he had gotten a memo in his office to be uh, especially attentive to reports of livestock mutilation because they seem to be on the rise. I don't think he ever got any such report, but it was kind of funny that the central office was telling him to keep his eyes open. Of course, the big thing today is getting back to reading my unsold Star Trek pitches. We are still in the middle of Star Trek The Next Generation. I still have quite a few stories uh, to recite from that pile. Full-length stories and also just short little one-sentence blurbs 
Uh, one or two of them are actually handwritten, which is kind of daunting because I don't always, I don't always recognize my own writing. But we'll get onto those later. In the meantime, let's get going with today's story. Before I start, I just want to refresh my listeners' memories. When I'm putting together a story pitch, or when I was putting together a story pitch for uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation, I had to uh, rely on this memo dated October 7th, 1991, from the desk of Michael Piller, who was the showrunner. And the memo is entitled, To All Writers Coming In to Pitch. Michael goes on to say, A few do needs and don't needs as of this date. We are sorely lacking in good, simple science fiction premises along the lines of The Host, in which Beverly falls in love with an intelligent parasite that changes bodies. Or The Nth Degree, in which Barclay is suddenly gifted with extraordinary intelligence. He goes on to say, We still don't have an environmental premise that excites us. Problems to avoid with this area include focusing the story too much on a planet in vast environmental trouble, dealing with the political issues of environmentalism, creating excessive sets and effects, and failing to turn the story so that it is a personal one for one of our crew. He says they want to do a show on literacy this season. Don't bring in any more Klingon or Romulan stories, he said. Also, no more war stories. He says we have all the wharf stories we need. We have enough stories involving children. We need bottle shows. And finally, the last guideline, do not pitch sequels to past stories, including stories which reprise Jack Crusher. So those were my marching orders as a young writer pitching to Next Generation. I, I, I don't know how much attention I paid <laughs> to that memo because I certainly never pitched a, an environmental story. I never pitched a literacy story. I don't think I ever even pitched a war story. And I probably did pitch warp stories, even though he said quite plainly they didn't need them. At any rate, that's what happens when you start pitching for a show. You get the rules, and you need to follow the rules. And if you get a little too clever and act like you don't need to follow the rules, eh, you can get in trouble for that. The story I'm going to read today is something called Will Someday Never Come? Question mark. I'm not crazy about that title, to be honest. I, I have not read, as I've been doing with the podcast... I have not read this story since I unearthed it. Actually, since before I unearthed it, because it was buried somewhere for years and years. It's been many, many years. Let's just leave it at that since I've looked at this story. So I don't really know what to expect. I don't know if you will like it. I don't even know if I will like it. But here goes. Will someday never come. Data is giving a dramatic reading on the Enterprise, and he's chosen a passage from Shaw in which he takes on the role of an outsider who feels himself to be separate from and superior to humankind. Although Data denies there is any significance to his choice, the reading he has chosen makes Picard and Troy worry that he may be experiencing loneliness and may even be harboring some secret wish to be among others of his kind. End teaser. Act 1. Soon thereafter, the Enterprise is given an unusual duty that Picard feels may address his concerns about data. Sakrana, a brilliant and controversial Federation statesman, philosopher, and diplomat, is nearing the end of his lifespan and has requested that a starship take him to a sacred place to die. The Enterprise has been selected for the honor, 
and Picard assigns Data the privilege of attending to Sakrana during his final voyage. Data is pleased to accept, and Picard and Troy hope that Data will find Sakrana's company to be just the stimulation they think he may be needing. As the ship sets course for Sakrana's resting place, Data meets the man, and they are both instantly infatuated with each other. Data is enthralled by Sakrana's great wisdom and breathtaking insight into the conditions of life in the universe, both generally and specifically as they apply to Data. Sakrana is delighted by Data's great intelligence and his equally great naivete, and continually challenges Data to see whether an android can possess true wisdom. Throughout it all, Data senses an underlying frustration in Sakrana, and he begins to realize that Sakrana is a lonely outsider. He is a man ahead of his time, a man who can envision a perfect universe, but has not over his lifetime been able to create it. Picard and the others are gratified to see Data's pleasure at his assignment, and then begin to worry how Sakrana's imminent death might affect their friend. But Sakrana talks openly to Data about his coming end, referring sadly to his unfulfilled purpose, which causes Data to reflect that he is sometimes aware of a purpose that is not just unfulfilled, it is as yet unrealized. Then Sakrana refers cryptically to some as yet unfulfilled purpose that they may both share. When the Enterprise arrives at the point in deep space that Sakrana has identified as his resting place, Data is at Sakrana's deathbed. To Data's confusion, Sakrana speaks as though they will be seeing each other soon. Then Sakrana dies, and Data disappears. Act 2 Eventually, it is discovered that Sakrana has died and that Data has disappeared. Picard fears that Data's disappearance may be a manifestation of some sort of grief on Data's part. As the search for Data begins, Sakrana's body is readied for burial at space. Meanwhile, Data has found himself in a comfortably furnished room. Although it overlooks a park, there does not seem to be any means of entry or egress. Data tries to communicate with the Enterprise, but cannot. A disembodied voice addresses him, asking if he is comfortable, and if there is anything he needs or desires. When Data asks where he is, the voice replies that he is in a place where it is hoped he can discover his purpose. As a matter of interest, Data is shown a view of the Enterprise, and he sees Sakrana's coffin being interred into space at his chosen resting place. No sooner has this happened than Sakrana appears alive and well in the room with Data. Data asks Sakrana how this can be so, and Sakrana, who does not seem surprised to be here, explains that there is still much he doesn't understand. Sakrana disappears. The voice explains to Data that he will have a chance to speak with Sakrana again, but that it wanted to give Data some proof that he was not in a hostile environment. Back on board the Enterprise, Picard's initial assumption that Data might have gone into seclusion in reaction to Sakrana's death has not been borne out by the search of the ship. Data is really gone, but where? The Enterprise is light years from the nearest ship or planet. A worried Picard instructs his crew to begin scanning this entire sector. Meanwhile, Data is visited again by Sakrana, who seems very excited and eager to explain things to Data. He begins by telling Data about the amazing people he has just met, famous thinkers and artists and philosophers from across the universe, who Data notes are, like Sakrana himself, all dead. 
but Sakrana gleefully corrects him and asks him if he knows of any commonality among the people whose names he's mentioned. When Data cannot answer, Sakrana explains that everyone here was considered when alive to be, quote, ahead of their time, unquote. Somehow, Sakrana explains, the greatest, most visionary minds that ever were have all been brought together here in this place, and Data has been brought here to see if he wishes to be included. End Act 2 Act 3 The voice, which Data assumes to be his host, is explaining to Data how and why he was brought here. Sakrana, it explains, was recruited like the others shortly before his death, but that it was seen that his normal procedure would not work in Data's case. After all, Data may never die, and if he does, they may not be able to restore him as they would an organic being. Data was considered too great a prize to leave to chance, so he was simply taken from the Enterprise at the same time as Sakrana. Sakrana, Data learns, was given the job of screening him. Sakrana found that Data possessed what he felt was true wisdom and a sincere desire to improve the quality of life in the universe. Sakrana also felt that as a Starfleet officer, Data's vast potential to do so was not being made use of. Perhaps it was thought Data might find a more agreeable purpose here. Data is intrigued, and the voice further tantalizes him by letting him meet and converse with a series of great visionaries from the past. The possibilities are limitless. Sarek, George Bernard Shaw, who would be interested to learn what in his writing appealed to an android, H.G. Wells, Leonardo, Van Gogh, who knows? Each conversation would make it clearer and clearer to Data that each of these visionaries shared a frustration with their inability to bring about within their lifetimes the betterments to life they envisioned. Data also begins to get the feeling that they are all waiting, waiting for some coming moment in time. Back aboard the Enterprise, Picard and the crew have begun to suspect that what their probes and sensors tell them is empty space surrounding them is really occupied by something. Oh, and I have a little note in the margin. I'm not sure if this was added before or after I pitched the story, but just an extra added element that the Enterprise has some pressing mission awaiting it. Back to the story. Readings that are just too perfectly false appear to have been spliced into normal, imperfect false readings, suggesting that someone is trying to conceal something. This gives them hope that perhaps Data is still in their midst, in some way they do not yet understand. Picarda decides that the Enterprise is going to stay put until they can solve the mystery. Data wants to know by what reasoning it was determined that he was being wasted serving on the Enterprise, and the voice says it will leave that explanation to the man who alerted them to Data's existence, Dr. Soong. Data is startled to find that Dr. Soong is present at this place and is quite unprepared for his father's abrupt appearance in his chamber. End Act 3. Act 4. Dr. Soong explains to Data how, when he died at the hands of Lore, he thought that Lore had already destroyed Data. And I have another margin note saying, not true, <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not sure what that correction applies to. At any rate, suddenly, Soong explains, he could see the folly in allowing Data to merely serve on a starship when at any time Lore could reappear and destroy him. Why allow that to continue, Soong reasoned, when Data could be brought here to fulfill a higher purpose and be kept safe from Lore at the same time? He knew then that a way must be found to bring Data here. 
Meanwhile, Jordy is able to isolate and outline the exact area that's being camouflaged by the false readings, and the Enterprise attempts to move through it. To everyone's surprise, the ship does seem to move right through it, but a close analysis reveals that the act of passing through this area was somehow discontinuous. It did not happen the way it seems to have. Now they know they are onto something. They just don't have any idea what. Data's conversations with Dr. Soong and with the visionaries who reside in this place have made him realize that he longs to share their sense of purpose. His existence has consisted of observing, studying, and emulating human behavior. Might not a being of his intelligence and capacity turn this experience toward a higher purpose, perhaps the betterment of human life and of all life in the universe? Data can now see that, as wondrous a place as the universe is, there is still much room for improvement in the way the forces of life make use of themselves. Could he somehow be an agent of this improvement? Soon, Sakrana, the mysterious voice, and the succession of great minds Data has met with have all tried to make Data see that this is possible, and now he begins to believe it and wish it. I also have another margin note saying, they may be in a Dyson sphere. Hmm, interesting thought. Back to the story. That having been accomplished, the sphere announces to Data that it is now time for him... Uh, something happened there. I don't know where this sphere came from. So now that Data begins to believe that he can do something better with his life, the voice announces to Data that it is now time for him to learn of the destiny he shares with Soong and all the other residents of this hereafter for visionaries. The voice leaves it to Dr. Soong to explain. Suddenly, to their and his great surprise, Captain Picard beams into their midst. Sensor reading notwithstanding, he was convinced that Data was somewhere near, and he took the risk of beaming to this place to try to find him. The voice tells Picard that he and the Enterprise must leave this place. Picard will not leave without Data, so the voice host decides that Picard will hear the explanation as well, so that he will understand why he must leave. Picard makes Soong feel somewhat ill at ease, perhaps jealous, but Soong begins his explanation. He reiterates that every being in this wondrous place, man, woman, or otherwise, is alike in having lived ahead of their time. Imagine the feeling, he suggests, of seeing a better life for yourself and your descendants, of toiling ceaselessly to achieve the conditions that would make this better life possible, only to realize at the end of your life that your cries have fallen on deaf ears, that all your labors have been in vain, that the better life you envisioned is not going to become reality in your lifetime, perhaps not for many, many lifetimes. This, Soong says, is the state he and all the others found themselves in at the end of their lives, feeling wasted and fooled. Then from somewhere, each of them received a summons. Would you be willing to wait in seclusion until the time is right? Everyone here answered yes and awoke after death to find themselves here where they would wait, thinking and planning and strategizing their better life until life in the universe had risen to a point where it was nearly ready for them. At that moment, they would be returned to real time and space, a force of millions whose vision of a perfect life was now within reach, whose voices would now be heard and listened to. Data, the voice explains, is being given a chance to join this group, to wait with them until the time is right. Data explains to a speechless Picard that he has decided to accept the offer to stay and become a force for good when he believes life in the universe will need it most.
End Act 4. Act 5. Back on the Enterprise, Riker, Worf, and a security team break into Picard's ready room to discover that he's now missing. And we learn that the Enterprise has been crippled, making it virtually impossible to continue a search for either Picard or Data. Meanwhile, in the room, Picard is pressing Data to make sure he has thought through his decision, and Sue and the voice are trying to convince Picard that he is going to have to accept Data's decision and leave. Himself interested in learning more about what Data has chosen to take part in, Picard asks the voice if life in the universe hasn't already reached a point of promise where the visionaries would be able to achieve their mutual vision. It happens that Picard feels pretty good about the universe and is reluctant to entertain the notion that it still needs a lot of work, much less the possibility that in the 24th century, a visionary could be squandered and squashed by indifference or worse. Soong says that the time seems nearer now than ever before. After all, he and his colleagues are all arch-optimists, but then admits that that may mean nothing. As long as a man like Sokrana can still be considered a troublemaker by some factions, as long as the Federation lives in a, a hostile coexistence with the Romulans, the Cardassians, the Borg, etc., as long as there are neutral zones, the time is not yet right. The voice reminds them of a crucial Federation treaty that had recently gone awry and admits that that has set their plans back. Picard then suggests that Data might be more useful to them all back on board the Enterprise, working to bring about the conditions that will release them all to do their work, rather than waiting here for some day to come. Yes, it means leaving Data's fate to chance, but now that Data has been given this higher purpose, might not the risk be worthwhile to everyone? Soong is unmoved, until Picard reluctantly raises the issue of lore. Protecting data from lore is all well and good, Picard says, but that leaves lore's presence in the universe unanswered. Might not lore's influence push back the time when Soong and the others can be of use? Push it back over and over again indefinitely? Shouldn't data be present, Picard asks Soong, to compensate for lore's influence? Another parenthetical note here on the margins... This assumes that evil is a stronger force than good. Yes, I suppose it does. I think that's where I was going with this story. Okay, back to Act 5. There is silence in the room as Picard's words sink in. Finally, reluctantly, Data admits that Picard is right. Data tells the voice that he must return to the Enterprise with Picard, and the voice assents. Data then turns to Dr. Soong, who tries to turn away. Data tells Soong that he would rather stay here and wait, but that he has another more immediate purpose to fulfill. Soong is sickened that Data must once again be punished, in this case kept out of paradise, for the sins of his brother, doubly sickened since he himself is to blame, and since he feels that he, not Data, should have to bear the punishment. Data replies that if one of them must make a sacrifice, he does not mind being the one to make it. After saying goodbye, Picard and Data suddenly find themselves on the bridge of the Enterprise, Evading Riker's questions about what has happened to them, Picard takes Data aside. He expresses his appreciation for Data's return and wonders with concern where Data's heart lies, here on the Enterprise or out there. After a moment, Data asks if his heart can be in both places at the same time, and Picard assures him that it can. The End well, wow. All I can say is that's a very that's going to be a very talky talky script. Very little action, lots of talk, 
lots of philosophy, which would be a challenge. I think it would be a real challenge to write this script in a way that would be dynamic and would hold people's interests. I mean, the the fact that the fact that Data's ongoing character arc in the Next Generation and subsequent movies and in Picard, um, the fact that his overall story arc is you know the Pinocchio story, Data wanting to be real, wanting to be alive, is so strong. I think that I think that storyline is so strong and so appealing to so many of us that you know I think maybe I could get away with with writing this script and and not have it just seem like endless talk but it would definitely definitely uh be a challenge i think my notes in the parentheses are are kind of telling especially when i wrote something down and then added a note that said (laughs) not true when i'm introducing dr soong and lore the dyson sphere note is interesting but not really hugely meaningful and then in the end, my comment that it assumes that evil is a stronger force than good. I guess it does kind of lean that way. I'm not sure if I would want it to if I wrote the script, though. One other thing. I cannot believe that I wrote this whole story and never identified who the voice was. I never identified who created this this uh, science fiction purgatory, this science fiction limbo for all these outsider characters. Why did I never think to talk about who created this place or who who or what the power was behind it? Big, big, big uh, mistake there. So, yeah, all in all, a little bit underwhelming. I'd be interested to know what other people think. But I think it's a little too talky. I think one of the big things that I missed that I really shouldn't have is in the portrayal of this uh, mystical afterlife where all these geniuses are located. Uh, Also, big, big super boo-boo in listing the uh, luminaries who are living in this uh, world. Uh, They all seem to be men. It's kind of dumb. That would never wash today. So, yeah, yeah, definitely some things I would address. Definitely more of a female presence, especially in the afterlife sequences. Uh, and, yeah, there there need to be some more action. I'm not how you would do action, though. This isn't exactly uh, a setup for any fistfights or phaser battles. So, yeah, the only thing I could see that would add suspense is my note about how the Enterprise has some pressing mission awaiting that would add some pressure to... Whether the Enterprise stays here looking for data or whether they go off to follow orders. Uh, But even that, there's only so much, I think, uh, drama you can eke out of that. Well, wow. So it's kind of sad that I I come back after almost two months and read a pitch that I am not all that enthused about. But, you know, I'm, I'm thinking I wouldn't have pitched a story like that if I didn't think it would be received well by the producers so um, part of me is going to say yeah it's a little slow it's a little talky but at the same time it does bring up some interesting ideas and in the end that's what star trek is always best at is talking about interesting ideas so so i'm i'm going to give it maybe a c plus well that wraps it up for this episode of far-fetched Thanks for listening. See you next time.